This is Blackstone Joe, and you're listening to Slick Talk. If I say I'm an oil man, you will agree. Today is episode 86. I have Miranda on the show with me today. Miranda is a senior analyst, much like myself. Every day she's looking at the data, breaking down the results, making them real to our customers. And I was excited to sit down and talk with her. Um, if you've been around this show for a while, I haven't done a guest episode in quite some time. And part of that's just due to logistics and change in recording setups and the like. So jumping back in was fun, but especially with Miranda, because while I have worked with her for a while, we haven't had a lot of one-on-one -on -one interaction apart from just strictly work-related, you know, take a look at this lab number or what do you think about these results, so on and so forth. So I was excited to sit down and learn more about her, as I'm sure you will by the end of the episode. We had a very fun chat, and I want to go ahead and jump into it. Without further ado, here's Miranda and I on episode 86 of Slick Talk. We now welcome on Miranda. Miranda, welcome to Slick Talk. Thanks for having me, Joe. Happy to be here. So have you ever done a podcast before? I have not. This so, is my first podcast. Because <laughs> I feel like during the pandemic, you either made a sourdough starter or you started a podcast. I didn't do either, actually. Did you pick up any like pandemic skills? Um, hmm. Or at least, like, any flights of fancy, because, like, I thought I was going to be, like, a puzzle person, and that didn't pan out whatsoever. You know what? I did try, like, one puzzle, um, and well, then my dog ruined I had to, like, build a cage around my table every day <laughs> so that she wouldn't mess it up. Wait, so this was, like, an aggressive puzzle? Well, I don't know. It was, like... I would say aggressive is, like, a thousand or more. Yeah, it was probably, like, a thousand, and I was doing it on my coffee table, so it's, mm. like, low enough she can get to it. And so I would have to, like, move my furniture and stuff to, like, block the coffee table so she didn't have access to it while I was at work. Wait, so what? what so what? I had to do that every single day. I did that for, like, two or three days, and I was like, no more of this. Wait, did you finish the puzzle? No, I didn't. I just gave up on it. Well, well, I was what? like, I'm not a puzzle person. That's not me. I, I got it. Yeah, you have to at least attempt. But what, what was the puzzle? Was it, like, a landscape of, like... You know what? I don't even remember. It, it must have not. If it was maybe like a really, really cool puzzle, then mm -hmm. I probably wouldn't have abandoned it like that. Mm -hmm. But the fact that I don't even remember what it was, it must have just been something that someone gave me as a gift a long time ago and just sat in a cupboard until, you know, a global pandemic hit. And then it's like, hmm, where's that puzzle? <laughs> I had a Game of Thrones puzzle that was like it was multi leveled. So like you would build like 500 piece base. And then you would have a puzzle on top of a puzzle. And then I only finished it because we had like four friends come over. This was like a 2018 or something. And we had four friends come over and they would just all want to help because it was a Game of Thrones puzzle. <laughs> and so I was just like Tom Sawyering that and just having everyone else do it. Well, I did like yeah. probably 25% of it. Yeah, people get really excited. That is one thing that I noticed. Like when you 
you know somebody sees a puzzle they're like oh, oh my god you have a puzzle can i and they well, just start doing yeah. it and they're like it, it, it's a defense mechanism yeah. like you don't have to be like locked in conversation you can take a break and be like all right that's enough for right oh, now yeah. i'm gonna find a border piece <laughs> so but what so i was gonna ask because we need the hard-hitting questions if you were a cat or a dog person so is it automatically dog because you have one or mm, i don't know i mean I, I would say it's probably dog for me. I do love cats so much though, but I'm also pretty allergic to cats. So I I did have, um I, I've lived with cats before and it was, you know, those were some great years of my life. But uh, also as soon as I, you know, wasn't living with them anymore, my health improved greatly. So it's kind of like hard, you know, to really make the decision to like, I think about it all the time. Like, should I maybe get like a cat? Cause it's my dream to have like a dog and a cat that get along and they're like best friends and they cuddle and stuff. What's but, the kind of dog you have now? Um, she's an Australian cattle dog. So she's really high energy. I would have to get a kitten for sure because most cats would probably not want anything to do with her. So how does she do when she's alone? Like, do you have to have her in a cage or is she able to roam around and not destroy the Place. she roams around the house um so yeah she she's pretty good she doesn't ever really like get into things except puzzles apparently <laughs> that's yeah. like her her one weakness um just can't resist uh or you know you, you can't leave any food out like you can't leave taco bell on the table i've learned that the hard way <laughs> i swear my so like i i grew up a dog person and then i just i can't be home enough and i i would miss them too much whereas like cats i knew would love it when I was home, was maybe, and then we ended up being best friends. I knew like yeah. some cats are really solitary, so I was like, well, at least if they aren't like best friends, they'll be blocked by themselves. And then I just turned into a cat person. Yeah. And now I have two plus like a community cat that we let in, but now I'm kind of like uneasy about it because I found out he was friends with a possum last night. Oh. <laughs> he was sitting next to the possum, and I was like, that's. You're gonna bring in like possum illnesses. I don't know, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's he's really adorable, and we like we and my neighbors take care of him, and we let him in at one point, and we give him like flea medication so it doesn't get out of hand. But yeah. he's yeah, he's a street cat. Like he's we've seen him like carry like rabbits and birds oh, up gosh. to the house, and he's he's about that action. <laughs> So I wanted to switch gears and talk to music for a little bit because a lot of our listeners are in, into discussing music and it's also been like just a common talking point for me. Like I would let them get to know me a little bit by talking about albums. And I, mm -hmm. when, when Ben was on the show, we talked about music quite a bit. So what was the last vinyl that you bought? Um, the last vinyl that I bought, well, first of all, how dare you assume that I just buy vinyl? <laughs> I think you I did know a little me, bit though. Of, I did a little bit of research. <laughs> oh, okay. Like any good podcast host. <laughs> um, so the last vinyl I bought, I think, was um, an Angel Olsen nice. record. Yeah. Um, actually, I usually buy like more than one at a time, though. So Her latest album is really, really good. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. I think I also, in, the, in that haul, I got uh, Radiohead's Kid A. Nice. Um, and I don't know, just some other like random things that I can't remember right now, but. <laughs> I think the first Radiohead album that like, I first, cause I feel they're kind of tough to get into, I think, unless you are in the right zone and the right mood. Yeah. And In Rainbows came out and I remember 
like every track just clicked on site for some reason yeah do you like that album that's probably like one of my favorite albums ever like every yeah. song on that album is perfect but <laughs> you do mm -hmm. have to be like if i want to be sad then i'll listen to yep. that if i don't want to be sad i'll stay away from that album my number one sad boy artist is uh the national oh yeah i i, I was listening to the national yesterday because it was raining obviously mm -hmm. so that's when you throw on the national yeah but yeah course. um <laughs> On the topic of Angel Olsen, she did a song with uh, Sharon Van Etten. Have you oh, heard yeah. that one? Mm -hmm. I think it's called Like I Used To. Mm -hmm. That was a banger. I, when that came out, I listened to it. It was probably like in the top five on my Apple for a minute. Yeah. Um, and I had this film instructor in college who uh, he's always – I followed him. I follow a couple of instructors that were like you could tell they were cool. Mm -hmm. and he was one of them and he was always posting about angels and and then i was like fine i'll listen to her and then yeah she's she's really high up on the list yeah she's got such a like classic voice like you mm -hmm. just don't hear a voice like hers very much these days yeah a lot yeah. of like female singers sound the same actually i don't really want to make that generalization but there are at quite least a few. Pop <laughs> yeah, yeah, pop, right. yeah, pop music. So on the subject of vinyl, um, I definitely have a couple like heavy in rotation, like depending on what the what's going on. So like if I'm cleaning, for example, there's one album, or if I have if I'm entertaining, I have dinner going, and I have people coming over for that. There's one vinyl. So like if I have people over, it's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood soundtrack. <laughs> Do you have any mood specific vinyls that are just like? I'm going to lean on these for whatever is going on. Yeah. So um, David Bowie, any David Bowie album is usually like my go-to like cleaning mm. soundtrack. Um, <laughs> me and my partner, Andrew, uh, <laughs> found this album that's like, it's not really a music album. It's like UFO like records. Like, I don't know, mm. some, some kind of weird UFO album where they're like talking about like some documents or something is it like like the radio war of the world's program or something like that it's something like that and so that's cool. what we put on when we have people over and they're like what am i listening to right <laughs> now we're like don't Just, worry about that yeah you got sometimes you have to teach them yeah <laughs> uh, no i get it um so if you're if you're writing um since you're since you're a fellow analyst and we spend so much time writing do you prefer to listen to music or do you listen to podcasts or like nothing at all? Oh because I think everyone's very different. And I'm definitely different depending on what I'm writing. Um, if I really need to focus on like the nitty gritty of like, if it's an industrial sample of like seven special tests, then I can't really listen to anything with words. I need yeah. to just listen to like instrumental or whatever. So do you have a preference when you're writing? Um, well, I found that when I'm writing, I just can't. I can't listen to anything, sadly. Nothing, yeah. I, I think at first I would try to at least listen to like instrumental music. Um, Clams Casino was my go-to. Mm, yeah. um, but even then, it's like if I know the, if I'm familiar with the songs, like even if they don't have words, I'm just kind of like anticipating or like, yeah. I don't know, almost like not humming along but you know what i mean mm. like in my head yeah. <laughs> um, and so it's just even that can be kind of distracting for me so i usually just don't listen to anything unless yeah. i'm proofing maybe when i proof reports i feel like i you know it's definitely a lot easier to but mm. I, I probably couldn't do like a podcast or anything like right. that it's too intense <laughs> yeah i i totally understand that because sometimes 
it will take over. I'll find myself like writing the words that I'm hearing yeah. <laughs> in my head. So it really throws things off. Yeah, that's what the proofing process is for though. <laughs> so also on the getting to know you side, the hard hitting questions, um, coffee or tea? Um, coffee. Is it tea ever or tea never? Um, I do love tea, but I just, um, I don't know. I don't feel like there's enough caffeine in tea for me. Yeah, I can't rely on it for ca- whenever anyone says, "Oh, tea has caffeine." Yeah, I know they're not lying to me. I know it does, but I, I refuse know. to believe that it has what I need. Same. Like, you could print out the label, like a, a study that shows it might even have more caffeine than coffee. I'm just mm-hmm. like, yeah, but I don't buy. It. <laughs> I think it's like probably better for you. Like I actually, I did have um, a matcha uh, from Trader Joe's uh-huh. <laughs> this morning before I came to work, um, and now I'm drinking coffee. Yeah, but. Uh, yeah, so I mean, I really don't discriminate. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> if you put something in front of me that has caffeine in it, I'm gonna consume that. Tea is more of a. It's never a wake me up. It's like a um, if I'm at home and I'm just trying to have a quiet night and watch like a movie or read a book, mm-hmm. then it's that, you know. Yeah, t- I drink tea when I want to have like a moment. <laughs> exactly, it's a relaxing. I feel yeah. like it adds relaxation, which is why I can't relate to people who are like, I wake up with it because I'm like, that's, I'm either ill or like I'm about to be. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, Outback Steakhouse or Texas Roadhouse? Um, I actually just went to Outback Steakhouse for the first time on Valentine's Day. <laughs> and I sat in the bar. Was it a good time? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so m- I'm actually going to be moving to Florida uh, at the end of April. And I'm still going to be um, working for Blackstone remotely. But my partner just recently got a job at Blue Origin. So we're we like already kind of moved down there but i'm still Mm. like living here right now while i finish up uh, my degree um where was i going with that outback steakhouse outback steakhouse yeah Yeah. so so because we're like doing this long distance thing right now we kind of just wanted to still like have a night together Mm. and outback steakhouses are most places so he had one right next to him so we decided to both go to outback and just be on the phone the whole time that's awesome and so I didn't make a reservation or anything like that, uh, which was kind of, you know, dumb of me, but it was sort of like a last minute choice, but they Mm -hmm. were so packed. So I had to sit at the bar and I was like sandwiched in between Mm -hmm. uh, different people. And they're probably like, what is this girl doing? (laughs) Like, (laughs) I felt kind of silly and I didn't even have um, headphones or anything like that. So I just had to hold my phone up to my ear the whole time, which wasn't really ideal. (laughs) I thought you were going to do like a FaceTime situation. Well, I I don't think I could have done that because again, I didn't have headphones. So I didn't want to like subject everyone to my conversation. Plus it was really loud. So wild like have you ever seen someone on speakerphone in public and you're just like how do you have the confidence to do that because i'm already if i just hear myself talking i'm nervous and i'll like speak abruptly like i was like walking to the library yesterday to return some dvds and i was on the phone with my wife and she's like what are you doing and like as soon as i walked in and i was around like strangers i was like i'm running an errand (laughs) you know speaking on the phone is already nervous then people have the confidence and then you know if it's not speakerphone if they if they're facetiming it's not like a situation like that which is yeah i don't know i think that's really cool i can't so you and your partner can go to chain restaurants and you both want to go is that like are you both into it because i can't get my wife to go to like a chili's yeah you know we kind of are like sometimes there's like a time and a place because we love to support local restaurants and Mm -hmm. we mostly like try to find the good local spots but every now and then we're just like 
you want to go to Olive Garden? (laughs) And like, he's not like snobby about it. Like, I feel like I have had like friends before and I've known people who just absolutely refuse to. Mm -hmm. But there's something like nostalgic about just like going to a Pizza Hut or something, you know? So is. And like, I I think it's a quote from um, Up in the Air, this George Clooney movie where he's like, I'm a sucker for simulated hospitality. (laughs) Like, (laughs) if you can give me, oh, like if you give me like a novelty menu, like novelty drinks, like the umbrella in it, and then I get like a ridiculous amount of appetizers, yeah. I'm just like, I feel the vibe, you know? So I appreciate that you also understand that. Yeah. So I don't think we said at the top, but you are a senior analyst here at Blackstone. Um, but what were you doing before you were a senior analyst? What was the last gig? So before this, um, I ran a residential house cleaning business with my sister, um, and we had a clientele of probably about 35 to 40 um, regular uh, biweekly clients. How long was that going on? Um, For about three years, and she's still um, doing that, um, but... Yeah, it was just, I kind of wanted to, I loved that job. It was actually, you know, really mm-hmm. great. And we had some amazing clients and, and I missed them. Yeah. Um, and there are a lot of uh, things that I do miss about that job, but it is hard on your body. Mm-hmm. And also, I just um, kind of, like I said earlier, I'm about to graduate with my bachelor's in communications. So I've been going to school over the last few years and finishing up my degree. And I kind of wanted to break into something that was a little bit more related to that. Right. So I saw this position mm-hmm. and uh, Blackstone was looking for a writer. And I was like, I'm you know good at writing and mm-hmm. I enjoy writing. So um, it sounded like something that would be right up my alley. And I loved the uh, job posting itself was just kind of like littered with humor and I could kind of tell that Blackstone was probably a pretty cool place to work uh and I think one of the things that stuck out to me the most was the whole bit about resumes sent without a cover letter will be set on fire and and launched into the trash can or whatever (laughs) and I was like okay I like these people already and so I you know looked up the Blackstone website found out that it's like Blackstone is maybe a mile or two away from my house so Uh, that was like just an added bonus a blessing and a curse having work be close by yeah (laughs) it is nice for my dog though she's she's happy about it i can come let her out on my lunch breaks but um yeah so like you know the more i learned about blackstone the more it just seemed like it would be an awesome fit for me and it has turned out to be so far Mm -hmm. i I love it here and i love the people here and it's exactly what i thought it was gonna be so you were a writer first, and I think I definitely was too. Like I walked in the door just knowing I could create content, and mm-hmm. I wanted to just find the content that I would be consistent and not like freelance, and you know that I could dive into. Yeah. Um, but on the analysis side, though, at what point, I guess, what got you to the point where you knew you could be an analyst and not just a writer? Because we we walk in the door as creatives. Um, was there a turning point? Was there a moment during training or, or where you knew that, okay, I can make sense of the numbers and what they mean and not just talk about them? You know, I don't know if there was like a, a moment. I know being a new person here is hard because you're like taking in so much new information. But uh, I think I just kind of had this like confidence from the start that like I don't really know a whole lot about engines and oil and like, you know, but I know that I have the ability 
to learn all of these things. And mm -hmm. I think I just kind of, it, it was also helpful to be in a class of yeah. like other new hires where we could kind of, you know, lean on each other for support a little bit. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that was really nice to have. Um, yeah, the classroom element was big for me because like, you know, when we're in training and it's, you know, it's, it's notes, study, test, notes, study, test. And like, if you were comfortable at all with that workflow, I think at college, then I, I knew that I would be able to adapt to it. Yeah, exactly. So what was, was there copy or content or anything you created before Blackstone that kind of informed at all your style? Like I did, um, copywriting for a realtor and that was like, talking about like lead certifications and stuff. And that was kind of a little, I don't know, I didn't lean on it heavily, but I knew that like, okay, if you could write about that, yeah, something you, you don't have any real estate sort of background, then surely you can pick up a whole different world. So did you create any content before that informed your style or anything like that? Um, not for anybody else, not for any other company or anything, but um, for myself, for my own business, uh, I created the website and you know wrote all the copy for that and i i was you know responsible for all of the graphic design stuff and the branding and you know like the gift cards and yeah. and all that stuff so uh yeah that that was really my main experience with um you know writing in that sort of way yeah. but again that's you know it's very different but mm. A lot of the analysts here are creatives, I think, on the side. Are you still, yeah. when you're when you're not working on reports and you leave the office, is what scratches a creative itch? So many things. I mean, even something as simple as, like, cooking, I feel like mm. I, you know, yeah. I like to even get creative with that and try to, like, come up with my own recipes rather than following a recipe. But really, I don't know. If I'm not at work, I'm probably creating something, whether mm -hmm. I'm, you know, painting or, like, making collages, um, writing poetry. Anything, really. Um, or is there, like, a style you're most confident in? Uh, not necessarily. I think that's one thing that's always kind of frustrated me about my own art is that mm -hmm. I I feel like I haven't really found like a style that I've, you know, stuck with or whatever. I just kind of dabble in, you know, different, like maybe I'll, you know, I'm feeling like trying some abstract yeah. today. And, you know, sometimes I want to flex my drawing skills and, and mm -hmm. try to like, you know, create more realistic images. Um, so it just really kind of depends. Uh, I haven't really found like a certain uh, style that I've gravitated toward more mm. than another but um that also kind of keeps it fun i think yeah. i've just kind of stopped putting the pressure on myself to you know have my art be like a certain thing like it, it can mm. be kind of nice to like package it in a specific way or whatever and but i i don't think that's me i think yeah. i just i like to you know i'm thankfully not doing it like at you know i'm not trying to make money off of it or anything so i yeah i feel like there's not as much pressure there for me to like have a particular brand or anything like that like that i was, do have was, the freedom to just do what i want that's gonna be my next question is like do you think keeping the money out of it is really important because i think as soon as i've tried to ever gain something outside of you know this job get, trying to exploit like a hobby or, or something that like we just enjoy doing, mm -hmm. adding the money into it is a really quick way to just zap all of the joy out of it. Yeah. For me anyway. 
I think that it, it, in my experience, it's definitely been the case for me. I don't think that's the case for everybody, but I think that is kind of what um, sort of led me into what I'm doing now because I think there was a point in time where I was like, I'm a creative person. I love making art. Like, you know, I love the idea of like working for myself, but uh, after doing the cleaning business, I like saw the downsides to that. Like, uh -huh. yeah, there are a lot of, you know, upsides too, but you know, I do think that I like, um, the idea of just like having a stable income, not, you know, having employer provided health insurance and benefits right. and stuff like that. Um, that's been really nice. So I'm not really in a rush to like try and go out and do my own thing. Mm. Like maybe if I happen to make some like extra money on the side, cool. But like, yeah, I don't know. I think it would kind of take some of the joy mm. out of it for me if I was trying to like make a living off of it. When it comes to this job in particular, you've been doing it for a while, but do you still find it kind of hard to articulate to people who are outside of this world? Because like, I would like to think having the podcast and writing all these reports and doing social media, I would have the hang of it, but still it'll come down to people like asking me or my wife, they'll be like, so are you still doing the oil thing? Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes I'm at a loss when someone who is not like really into cars or even people who are really into cars, I feel like don't necessarily have a grasp of just how like vast the world is that we have to deal, deal yeah. with. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Like if you're in it, you're in it. And if you're yeah. not like, you're just like, what? <laughs> it can be so surprising because some customers want to be like debating the value of like a molybdenum level. And then other customers will be like, what do you mean? There's a 520 and a 020, you know? Yeah. So it's just kind of interesting learning how to interact with all sides of that. But when, but when you describe the gig, do you have like a, do you have like a fallback line, something to make it real to people or, I think, it, you know, explaining it kind of like it's like a blood test for your engine has always been, mm -hmm. um, you know, pretty helpful, like easy, easy yeah. to understand um, for people who have no idea what oil analysis is. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I also surprisingly do have a lot of people in my life who already knew about Blackstone. Um, really? I guess I'm just friends with a lot of engineers and I have like engineers mm. in my family. So um, to them, it's, you know easy for them to understand what I do. My That's mom, good, yeah. not so much. She's just kind of like, oh yeah, she, I don't know. I think she writes stuff. She writes about <laughs> engines. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it can be tricky, but yeah, I, I, I do um, enjoy the fact that so many customers connect with it on such a, a personal level, you know, especially anyone who's listening to this show. Um, that helps. So even though it can be difficult outside, we, we have our connections to, to keep us going. Yeah. Um, so what was your first car? And the, the the second part to that question is, how do you think the oil would have looked in analysis from that car? Oh, my gosh. Uh, well, my first car, I did not have very long. It was a Saturn SC1, which you don't see those very often. It's got character, though. Yeah, just real tiny uh, cars. It has, like, a weird third door. It was like a coupe, but mm -hmm. I don't know. It was just... In a very interesting little car yeah. uh and i actually got hit by a semi truck uh when i was driving in oh the God. winter like during a snowstorm where were you um it was by like huntington markle exit okay. i was right i was about to get off the highway and like the um a semi truck 
So I was, wasn't hit head on or anything like right, that, right, but right. like it just kind of like slid into me uh-huh. and like pushed me off the road. Jeez. And uh, it definitely did significant damage to my car, but mm. me and my friend, we were fine. We weren't hurt at all. So um, it, it was your first car, so you would have been like... I was 16, yeah. So how long were you driving and then and then this happens? Well, um, so my birthday is in June and this, I don't remember the month that it happened, but um, since it was snowing, it was probably like December or something oh like gosh. that. Um, and I, being a stupid teenager, um, decided to, me and my friend were going to see a band, one of our friends, uh-huh. you know, play who was in a band. And uh, so we drove out in a level three snow emergency. <laughs> Uh, despite the fact that you know our parents were like hey you can't go to this thing we're just kind of like you know what we're gonna go anyway (laughs) and um so that was definitely like felt like karma (laughs) or something Mm -hmm. um and i was like most terrified to have to tell my parents (laughs) that i got into this accident or whatever obviously they were very glad that i was okay so i didn't really no, I don't want to say I didn't get in trouble, but right. like I think they were just so relieved that I was fine that so they couldn't be mad at me right away. You think the engine probably was in pretty good shape, maybe? I mean, it was running well, nothing wrong, and then I just had to take that hit? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was running pretty well, um, so I don't know. It would would be interesting to <laughs> see <Yeah>. a sample. <laughs> I still had the first car. Um, I had a Pontiac Sunfire, and I still had my first car when I came to work here, and then... Um, I want. I, I was really excited to get something just, just a different car because it was my sister's. It had been the family forever, so I wanted something for me, and I traded it in. And then I remember telling Ryan, our boss, that I traded in the Sunfire, and he goes, "Are you kidding?" I was like, "Really?" <laughs> and I was like, all of a sudden, I felt ashamed. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> "How dare I?" But like, I don't know. I missed a lot. There's nothing wrong with it, you know. Yeah. I just got rid of it for for image sake. But yeah, I always wonder what that would have looked like as well yeah my next car after the saturn was i think a 2011 jetta and i loved that car yeah i was it a manual no it wasn't yeah um yeah i would love to learn to drive stick i mean Mm -hmm. i have learned to drive stick but it's just been so long that i feel like i would need to (laughs) practice again i'm nervous about losing it because my first car was a manual and i haven't had one since and i'm a time or two I've been asked by a friend like, oh, can you like drive my car if if needed? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. It yeah. hasn't come up yet, but I'm nervous <laughs> that like I've lost it to some yeah. extent because it, it is so different, but it really feels like you're driving when you compare it to ordinary yeah. automatic. It feels like you're actually doing it all because yeah. you are, but like it's such a different, um, such a different experience, but. So before you start here, is there like a job you would say, what was the closest thing to the daily here in terms of a job? Because it doesn't even have to be like analysis related, but like I would like to think that like working in food service was the closest thing to the vibe here in the sense of customer interaction, meeting expectations, uh, taking questions, like uh, having a good background of like what we have what we can offer you know what i mean so like i always thought that like that was the most similar in terms of like our daily goings on even though it has nothing to do with oil but like what do you have a job that you think informed your ability to work through all the situations we find ourselves in yeah i think um i mean 
definitely the cleaning business was kind of like the the one-on-one client interaction like kind of definitely feels like when you're helping somebody like mm-hmm. you know over the phone they've got a question about their report and you're like walking them through it um but also before that I did have jobs um in you know retail in the food service industry uh I also did work at Lens Crafters in their lab for a little while mm-hmm. which was one of my favorite jobs um and, you know, that that was kind of similar in the sense that uh, I didn't know anything about, like, how to operate any of that machinery, um, yep. like any, you know, that whole process was completely new to me. So I had to learn all of that. And, you know, it's like once you go through that training, though, it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's hard to imagine, like, not knowing it almost. It's yeah. like, okay, now this is just, like, in my head. I, this, you know, I know how to use these machines. I know exactly what to do. Um, but, yeah, that I loved that job. That was so much fun to just, like, feel like I was learning a totally new skill set that mm-hmm. had never been, you know, something that, you know, I could do before, and now I can. Yeah. Let's talk about some data that, that you've broken down. Um, I'm sure a lot of listeners have enjoyed getting to know um, a lot more about you and now maybe hearing your your uh, your breakdown on some reports that you've looked at in the past. So we wanted to talk about a few of these. Um, I think the first one you had in mind was aircraft related. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. So let's go through that report. Um, talk about the engine, the, um, the aircraft it was powering, um, you know, some of the background, and then we'll get on to the results. Okay. So let's break down this first report. It looks like it's an aircraft sample. So why don't you take it from there? Yeah, so um, this was a sample uh, that from a Lycoming O360A4A, um, where metals uh, had been reading a bit high for a while. The, in the report that I wrote, the most recent one, uh, metals have kind of taken a turn for the worse. Uh, cylinder area metals in particular, um, aluminum, chrome, and iron and nickel um, were all reading at some of their highest levels on the page. So at this point, it kind of seemed like, yeah, it's pretty safe to say that something's not quite right. Um, Even the viscosity was uh, really thick um, for the oil type. Well above that range, yeah. Yeah, well above that range, which can often be a sign of uh, excess heat on the oil. So it seemed like something was definitely not right in one or more of the cylinders. And, you know, I advised a compression test and the customer, they went and did that right away and found that uh, the number two cylinder had extremely low compression. So they pulled the cylinder and looked at it and found, you know, that there was definitely a lot of damage in that cylinder and that, you know, it was only a matter of time before there was an extreme mechanical failure. So they were super, super grateful for that report because they wouldn't have, you know, probably known that otherwise. Uh, I don't think that they were experiencing any obvious signs really or symptoms on their end at this point. But, you know, obviously you can see a problem before it, you know, might actually start uh, manifesting symptoms. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to get more clear cut in terms of value, you know, of of analysis than that. And um, yeah, like you mentioned on the slip, I don't think they had any notes about operational issues. You know, everything for all intents and purposes may, you know, seemed like they were not experiencing anything, but it takes looking at the oil sometimes and it takes running some tests in order to figure out, you know, what's really going on. So that's a really good example. And I think you had 
Another one where we were looking at something to do with how the sample was collected. I think this is always a good um, talking point for, for uh, listeners who either haven't sent a sample before or uh, maybe they have, but they aren't aware of how sample technique can play a role. So moving on, I wanted to talk about another instance where this time I think the sample container might have related to the results. Do you want to break that down for us? Yeah, so it wasn't a report that I wrote. It was a report that Amanda, another senior analyst, wrote, um, and I was proofing her report. And so on the oil slip, on the sample paperwork, the customer had told us that I think the mechanic or whoever took the sample uh, just uh, drain the oil into whatever container they had available. And I guess that was an M&M container. So a little M&M bottle is what the sample was collected in. And so they weren't sure if that would affect the test results or not. And we're not really sure if it did either. Uh, but we did find an interesting increase in sodium in the report. And this customer did have a long history of reports with us. And sodium was never anything that we really found in any of their previous reports. So we kind of speculated that maybe the sodium could be related. Mm -hmm. uh, apparently, Amanda did have to Google, um, you know, what is in M&Ms, the nutrition facts or whatever, right. and it, they right. do contain sodium. So we're not sure how, you know, what that might translate to in uh -huh. parts per million and analysis. You know, sodium can obviously be from coolant as well. Mm -hmm. So that is another possibility. Uh, there wasn't a lot of potassium, so we can't really be sure at this point. It wasn't a significant amount of sodium either. It was maybe just like 20 parts per million uh -huh. or so higher than it usually is just but enough to kind of raise suspicions stands out when you have a trend and yeah you know, lower that's what is normal. you know the great thing about having trends mm -hmm. because if that was their first report then you know it would be we wouldn't really be able to make that mm. call at all so amanda's actually going to do just a little experiment with her own oil and um she asked all of us analysts for uh ideas on you know what kinds of containers to put her oil into so i'll be interested to see what those samples look like yeah i mean it is impossible to have every example of a possible sample yeah. container and then confidently say yeah so that is absolutely from your m m container and not from this or that or the other you have to do a little comparison sometimes yeah and we're always interested to find out if that is in fact you know the explanation on our end too so I want to break down another instance. This is not a sample specifically, but well, maybe in the future where oil analysis is going to play a role in a project of some kind. Yeah. So my brother actually is taking apart his jet ski engine right now in my garage. So that's something that I'm going to be kind of uh, observing and maybe helping him with when I have time. Uh, but he's got a little three cylinder in there. It is um, an open cooling system. And so it's a little bit different from the engine that we took apart in training. But yeah, he's very organized and um, I'm excited to, you know, see what the results are like once he's got it all back together. And, you know, I'm definitely going to have him take a lot of samples. Yeah. Well, you brought up the, the engine teardown, which we all take part in. So what was that experience like for you? Were you intimidated by it? Or, you know, when you're in the garage during training, it's so early. Um, in, in the process, at least it was for me. So what was that like on your end, taking apart the uh, 2.2 liter, right, I think? 
I think so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it seemed really daunting at first, but I think once you kind of get going and you see how an engine comes together and how it comes apart, it actually kind of, you know, to see all those parts there, there's a lot of moving parts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, It can almost seem kind of overwhelming, but I do feel like it gave me a much better sense for, you know, like how all these parts are at play mm-hmm. in an engine and, you know, it definitely helped kind of, put everything that I had been learning into, you know, it made it all click together and kind of mm-hmm. make sense. It's funny. We talked about puzzles earlier in the show. <laughs> yeah. It's a different kind of puzzle. Yeah. Um, but in some ways it's a lot easier <laughs> yeah. than, than the ones we talked about earlier. And before we wrap up today, uh, my producer did just pass me a note and this relates to oil analysis that um, let's just say predates your time. You might say oil analysis has been in your blood. Uh, would you care to divulge exactly how oil analysis is factored into your uh, your family lineage, let's say? Yeah, so before I went to my interview at Blackstone, um, my dad actually told me, he was like, did you know that your Uncle Donald was a petroleum analyst in Vietnam? That was his job. Um, and obviously I knew that Uh, He was in the army uh, in Vietnam, but I never really knew exactly what it was that he did. And it turns out uh, he's doing basically what we do every day here at Blackstone. Um, I think he had kind of more of a focus from what my dad was telling me on fuel analysis. Mm -hmm. So he basically, especially for aircraft, um, wanted to make sure that uh you know the fuel was good to use so basically kind of similar to our fuel testing you know is it is everything in spec or -hmm. is there anything amiss is this fuel serviceable or is it not and that was you know his main job because i guess in vietnam they would have to have the fuel shipped over and then it might sit for yeah i think they had like these big tankers and stuff Mm -hmm. and then they would analyze the fuel and the oil and, and make sure that you know everything was in good shape to mm-hmm. be used in all the various equipment that they right because you know. yeah it might be serviceable at the time it's manufactured produced but by the time it actually is needed for use and then all the things that can happen during transport and all that yeah there's a lot of factors that could go into it so that's that's interesting that also it was fuel analysis and not yeah you know, not even just the oil i mean what so was there oil analysis any testing that you remember them talking about or like were they just looking for Maybe it was really basic and just looking for like visible contaminants or. Yeah, I'm not really sure. I wish I wish that I could um, pick his brain on that, but. They obviously weren't hauling a spectrometer over there. Yeah. So it's probably not probably a little different from from our uh, M.O. But... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I believe that that's still his official. Um, I'm looking at his diploma when he graduated from the petroleum products analysis course. Um on February 11th, 1966. Wow. Uh, but I do believe that that's still um, a job in the Army. Um, they still have petroleum analysts. And so it would be interesting to, to see what they do. Maybe some of the listeners have some insight that we, you know, don't yeah. have. But No, of course. Something something is being uh, tested and determined and yeah. analyzed <laughs> and written up. So it's important stuff. Uh, it was a really interesting breakdown, uh, not only of the petroleum-based analysis that you learned. Um, you said that was your... So um, it's my dad's uncle, so really my, uncle. my great uncle Donald, but he was, I grew up, he lived 
with my grandma and grandpa. So he was always around when I was a kid. He was almost kind of like a second grandpa to me. Mm-hmm. That was fascinating. And it's yeah. cool that somehow, some way, you stumbled upon oil analysis yeah. um, in your own right. So this has been a fantastic talk and breakdown. Uh, thank you so much for joining me, Miranda. Yeah, thanks for having me, Joe. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that as much as I did. Uh, chopping it up with Miranda, learned a lot that I didn't know before. And obviously, you all get the chance to meet another analyst, learn more about the people behind the keys, bringing you the results that only Blackstone Laboratories can deliver. Thank you so much for listening. This is Blackstone Joe signing off.